Fundraising everywhere. 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 Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast, where we give you a glimpse into one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Yep, just head to the Fundraising Everywhere website and use the code FEPODCAST at the checkout to get 50% off any of our sessions. Hello and welcome to this next Fundraising Everywhere podcast with me, co-founder Nikki Bell. And today I have with me Dr. Claire Routley and Ashley Rawthorne, who were the curators of April 2022's Legacy Fundraising Virtual Conference. Um, It was an epic conference that just really showed what the opportunities were for charity organisations in the future and uh, and what we need to do about it. So I'm just going to chat with the two now just to get a summary of the event event, um, and what you should be working on. So please stick with us for that. You can still go back and watch the conference. It is available on demand as all of our events are. If you head to fundraisingeverywhere.com on demand section and just search for legacy fundraising, you'll find everything you need there. But to talk to us about the conference, we're going to head now to Claire and Ashley and get the top highlights that we need to know about right now. So Claire and uh, and Ashley, welcome to the podcast. We're really excited to have you both here to teach us all about legacy fundraising. And um, for those people that haven't heard of yourselves and legacy futures, can you just go ahead, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and your experience with, with legacies. Claire, do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, I'll kick off. So uh, I'm Claire. Uh, I'm head of Gifts and Wills Consultancy at Legacy Voice, but I'll let Ashley do the, the group introduction so uh, I can tell you a little bit more about uh, our organisation. Um, I like to describe myself as a bit of a legacy nerd, really. So um, I did a PhD in legacies, gosh, 10 years ago now. Um, but I've always had a bit of a foot in the sort of the, the academic research side of things, but also mm. in practice. And I suppose what I really love is how the two slot together, you know, how we can use research to um, find out what I think is just generally fascinating information about legacies, but actually then really how that can apply to to help charities make what they do better and also to provide a better experience for the donors. And that's really helpful to have, you know, if you do have that kind of the theory stuff behind it, as well as the the applied Mm. bits of it. I think that's really useful for for charities to to have. Um, I don't think I've met anyone else with a PhD in legacy (laughs) fundraising. You are my, you're you're my only. Um, Ashley, hi, nice to see you again. How are you? Hi, Nikki. I'm good. Thank you. We've actually got two PhDs in our Ooh. team now. So Claire, I think Claire was like, the, were you the world's first PhD? I think I was, yeah. We wow. say she was, but yeah. then um, <laughs> Lucy, who's also in our team, got a PhD, which is amazing. So we've got two doctors. Nice. Now, whenever I speak about Claire in this conversation, in a way, I'm always like, Dr. Claire, yeah. Dr. Claire, we always, always put that on. You have earned that. Um, but yeah, I did call her um, Professor Claire, but she told me off because apparently yeah, that's like she needs to be ordained as a, a professor. Oh, OK. Next step. We'll do that. We'll do that next. Ashley, not a doctor. 
No, not a doctor at all. No, <laughs> studying is is not my bag. <laughs> same, same, um, same. But uh, so yeah, I'm actually so I might get my kind of grand title is I'm I'm chief exec of the Legacy Futures Group. Um, but really, what what that's all about is we so we're we're a group. Um, we came together in April 2020, just as the kind of pandemic was kicking off. But mm. bringing together three existing legacy consultancies that've been kind of around supporting in the charity sector for a long time, but in quite different areas. Mm-hmm. So um, as as Claire mentioned, Legacy Voice, we kind of help with strategy and communications, kind of helping charities become um, more confident kind of grow their confidence and grow their voice in in talking about gifts and wills which which can often be kind of shied away from because people don't know how to approach it but also um, legacy foresight have been kind of researching and benchmarking and analyzing the legacy sector so loads of great amazing data and legacy link who deal with um right at the end of the journey after a donor dies kind of taking care of their gift through the probate process Mm. and we said hang on a minute it would make so much more sense if we brought all this kind of expertise together because legacy giving is it's a journey it doesn't happen in isolation and we should really be thinking about how we can work better to help our charities and so we're all about just helping charities kind of access um, the trans, we kind of say the transformative power of legacy giving because it really is transformational. You know, mm. biggest gift a donor will probably make in their life, even one gift to a, a relatively you know small charity can be mind blowing and can, can make them do ama- you know amazing things. So we do that. Um, we mostly kind of work in the UK, but we work. We've got a consortium program in the Netherlands, which has been running for about a decade. Mm-hmm. Do bits and bobs in Australia, and it's just a load of fun. And legacy giving is, I guess it's, you know, we think it's amazing. And the more you kind of understand what it's all about, it's incredibly rewarding because, yeah, you're raising loads of money for charity, but it really, really helps people, particularly towards the end of life. Um, I'm sure Claire can talk loads mm-hmm. more about that. I get, yeah, I love that you you brought together a group then and, and you're collaborating. So are those independent um, consultancies still working you know, on their own as well. And then you come together kind of like the Marvel legacy Avengers. <laughs> is that what it is? It yeah, is they now, do. So. There's loads of, because exi- there's lots of existing things that kind of run, um, but we're increasingly kind of saying, hang on, what does it look like if we work together? So we do a few things as legacy futures, as, as the group. So we launched a, uh, uh, we call it our hospice legacy circle where we bring together about we've got about 25 hospices that come together and we we kind of we meet every other couple of months and we share and we share kind of research and things that happen in across our group and really help and support them and there are other things that we're kind of cooking up together um, and we feel very uh, honored so um for those that don't know in april 2022 it was april wasn't it april yep. to, it is flying fast um you folks the legacy futures uh, joined forces with fundraising everywhere and uh, and put together the legacy fundraising virtual uh, conference um so we kind of brought together the tech and the virtual conference experience and you folks brought in all of that experience and we had some fantastic speakers uh, from around the world that were sharing their expertise and, and knowledge on, on legacy fundraising and it was it was huge you know it was such a, a massive success and we can't thank you enough for bringing that to our uh, community um from attending that event was there anything any themes that that came out from that that helped oh here's angus uh, that helped you see you know this is actually like the legacy future were there any kind of common uh, bits coming through those talks from those speakers yeah d- Definitely. I mean, the kind of backdrop was from it was that the fact that 
you know, legacy giving is such a success story. Um, it's grown um, a lot over the last couple of decades, but we know that it's set to grow again. Um, we're expecting the legacy market in the UK to double over the next two decades. Um, and when you think about at the minute, three and a half billion pounds is given to charity every year. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a massive number. It's quite hard to kind of get your head around, but it's the equivalent of 50 London marathons wow. every year. Um, and a, an average legacy gift is worth more than the, the kind of lifetime giving value of a typical donor. So huge amounts of money, mm-hmm. but it's what we're seeing is it's growing, but it's not just growing for the big charities who, you know, if you went back 20 years ago, there were kind of 10 or 20 charities that got most of all the, the yeah. legacy income, the kind of the, the typical ones that you think about. Did you donkey sanctuary? Oh yeah, your donkey sanctuary, <laughs> for sure. But, you know, your lifeboats, cancer research, mm. Macmillan, those big charities that yeah. you know, people love and people love to give to. But what we're seeing today is this huge growth in small, local, grassroots charities getting legacies for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting because... It's what we're seeing. It's a it's a kind of a new generation of donors coming through, um, who are much more. They're more charitably minded. They're they're wealthier. They're more likely to give a gift in their will to charity, mm-hmm. um, and they're giving to different causes because legacy giving is always kind of life driven. And so th- that for us is the exciting thing. Is there's huge opportunity, yes, for those big charities who are going to carry on growing, mm. but there's also real opportunity for those smaller ones. And that's why when we designed the conference, we were like, we really want to make sure that there's. So we built two tracks: one for kind of smaller charities just getting started, mm. really kind of practical how-to, because any charity um, can you know can promote legacy giving, can can grow gifts and wills. And then we had one for kind of those going deeper and we were exploring some bigger kind of more, I guess, more meaty topics. Mm. What was, uh, what Claire, what was your favourite session from from that? What stood out for, for you? Oh, there were so many good ones, weren't there? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there was, a, there was sort of a, a theme across a couple of sessions, which I thought was really interesting around um, internal engagement mm. and actually, you know, getting the rest of the organisation on board with uh, with legacy fundraising, so I think um, Kerry Sunu's session yes, yeah. on uh, I can't remember exactly how phrased it. Having difficult conversations, wasn't it? I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, she's, she's joined us at another a, a couple of conferences, and it's um, you know pushing back without being pushy and communicating mm. change and influence and up and down and sideways. Yeah. Really valuable, I think, across anything we, we do. Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's vastly important for fundraising generally, but I guess mm. for legacies particularly because legacies come with those sort of taboos around money and death and uh, you know it's a organizations perceive it as something that's really difficult to talk about and especially like um, Ashley was just referring to you know there's this huge opportunity for um, small and medium-sized organizations here but you know setting out and doing legacies for the first time I think can be quite scary for some of those organizations and involve some of those really difficult conversations yeah and I think that and it, it also came out in um the session about sort of uh, international uh, and cross-cultural legacy giving, that idea that actually quite often you take a, a sort of way of legacy fundraising from one country and import it into another. And, you know, it actually works really well, but a lot of the difficulty is actually convincing the, the fundraisers and the other staff within the organisation in that country that, you know, this is something that's that's appropriate to do. Yeah. 
And who's doing really good legacy fundraising work at the moment? Who should we be looking to to, to kind of get the vibe of, of where we should be going? Mm. So many different ones, aren't there? Again, <laughs> it's uh, it's difficult. I mean, one session again that came out, I guess, um, in the um, in the conference itself was um, World Vision session on digital, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a you know it's a really kind of interesting frontier for legacy fundraising generally. Looking at you know interesting work that's happening in the, in the digital space. Mm. I think just because of you know there's been an assumption, definitely when I started in in legacy fundraising. <laughs> 10 plus years ago, (laughs) (laughs) the assumption was you you kind of put something on your website just in case someone happened to stumble across it. But the assumption was that our audience weren't really Mm. in digital channels. And I think that's changed. It was changing already pre-pandemic and then the pandemic has really sort of heightened that. So um, I think Caroline's session on um, some of the work they've been doing to sort of uh, take donors, I'm trying to do inverted commas and then remembering that this is... uh, (laughs) Yeah, you you have to (laughs) say it. Recorded, so yeah, air comma, air comma, (laughs) to take donors to, to see their their work I think she shared an example of taking donors to Zambia and and really sort of letting the donor um, sort of follow in the footsteps of some of the country staff Mm. um, to to see what was happening was was just one fantastic example of some of the work that's happening in the digital space. I'm really excited for Gen Z to be Mm. at that point where they're because they their conversations that they're having like they are just so straightforward so like authentic and and just Mm. straight to it and I just think there's so much fun that we could have with legacy conversations and and uh, and ways of working you know once those well they are I guess you know they're at that point of well at any Mm. point you know you can write wills um so yeah I'm excited for what charities start to to team up and and do campaigns around that oh yeah um legacy tiktok campaigns you know what is that (laughs) gonna look like all the memes and that so yeah and just generally there's much more of a sort of um insight in general there's this growing death positive movement where i can keep doing inverted commas again here but uh you know people are much more open to having these conversations about this historically taboo subject i think my uh, life insurance is with dead happy and I went with them because their comms are just like they're fun you know and yeah yeah, you are gonna die one day yeah you have money but you're right you know we we have this kind of weirdness towards the conversations around it so just back to that point which is both referenced then about that's one of the sticking points especially for smaller charities where this might be new um what how can they start to overcome that barrier of this is awkward to talk about to actually start having meaningful conversations that end up in in gifts i think the the key thing is is to to really put themselves in in the shoes of their potential donors and understand why they might want to give and often you've got the opportunity just to to sit and chat and listen to a few people who've made that commitment who've decided to give a gift in their will and hear their stories that just is transformational to me because it's it's all about the personal meaning that it has for people like often lots of legacy giving is driven driven maybe maybe by like an in-memory connection to a loved one Mm. it really connects them to that person that allows them to like have their memory live on through their giving Mm. or it might be that it's just a deep like a lifelong passion they love collecting beetles for example (laughs) and so they want to give that gift to the, the natural history museum because you know it's just there's so much kind of like joy in legacy giving I think we initially confront it but when we're new to it because it's got that death connection we do have this just inbuilt aversion to thinking about uh, mortality and that's just that's been drummed into us from like just generations we just we avoid it we don't want to go there but actually when you unpick it 
it's it's just so joyful it's all about the things that matter to us it's about our values you know our families our passions and we just want those things to live on so when you can understand that i think that's the thing for me that's transformational in terms of going hang on a minute we can talk about this because and because people want to talk about it as well like um especially as i think as you get older people are so much more open to even having really quite frank conversations about end of life and planning and what they want to do and and it brings so much meaning people want to talk about it so it's more about us overcoming our fears mm. yeah uh, and once yeah. we've kind of done that it's just much easier yeah just to add to what Ash is saying there's um, there was a survey a few years ago that found that the top reason that people aged 75 and older don't have kind of death related end of life type conversations is because other people won't have the conversation with them ah. so like Ashley says people want to have that conversation but actually often when they start to raise it with you know family members or whoever it might be they sort of shut down oh you know don't worry about that you've got years left you know <laughs> yeah yeah my friend Emma I remember um, I used to work with her at St Oswald's and, and she went to a national charity and worked in legacies and she was telling me about her first com- conversation at a legacy event where someone had come up and started talking about it and she panicked and was like you look dead young you've got ages you're not going to die and then like ran away obviously she's a lot more like confident with with that stuff now um, and she's doing really well and I, I do love that she's great um so how do you I mean aside from the fact you know if someone's rocked up to your legacy event you could it's safe to assume that they're interested in talking about it if you know you have a community fundraiser who might be with a volunteer who's volunteered for an organization for, for years, how can they start to broach that um, conversation to kind of get a feel for is this person up for having this? You know, because there's other opportunities, isn't there, beyond just like the, the legacy kind of uh, funnels there? How can we find out if a supporter is up for talking about it? I think you just make it an option. So, you know, it's, if you if you were a supporter and they're thinking about different ways they might want to connect and get involved, you might want to talk, talk to them about you know, volunteering or they might want to help organise an event or you might want to mention a gift in a will and you can kind of just drop a few things in and see see if they bite on it. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think just like stories, stories are so powerful. Just share some stories about other people that are doing it yeah. um, and you kind of normalise it and, mm-hmm. it and it roots it and they go, they can think, well, they sound a bit like me. You know, they've had, they've had a similar experience to me. Maybe when I'm next updating my will, I might think about that as well. So sometimes it's just about planting the seed for a later time. Yeah. And and tell me about the importance of a, a journey then, because um, I remember it wasn't my area. I was doing some consultancy work for a charity on, on a different subject. And they mentioned that um, they'd been to one session with a very well-known legacy speaker. Um, and now they knew what they needed to do and they were just going to start putting it on their newsletter and legacies were going to start rolling in. So can you tell us a little bit about what people need to do beyond that kind of letting people know it's an option and especially, you know, when people are given that sign that they, that they want to have that discussion, what should that journey look like? And, and, uh, and how can we measure as, as well? Cause I guess with legacies, one of the things is, is that you might not know for 10, 20, 30 years, you yeah. know, if, it, if it's working. So can you tell me a bit about that? I mean, there's some really, really simple point of carry on talking to people, <laughs> which sounds so obvious. But, you know, again, back in the midst of time when I started out in legacy fundraising, quite commonly someone would express interest in legacy or, you know, say they'd actually pledge tick a box somewhere. Mm. Um, and essentially the organisation would just stop communicating. It was almost like, OK, now if we just step back and uh, don't talk to them, then, you know, we won't upset them. And, and the, the legacies will, like I say, the legacies will just sort of roll in. Um, 
we're actually in process at the moment of um, looking at kind of all the, the academic research and updating um, a big literature review that we did a couple of years ago. Um, and actually, there's, a, there's some helpful um, information in there actually about sort of the value of, of stewarding and, and talking to people generally. Um, but again, at that real kind of just carry on talking to people. Um, there's a piece of research that, again, Professor Russell James, who also actually spoke mm. at the, the conference, did with um, someone called Rowan Wishart in, in uh, Australia. Um, and essentially what they found was that looking at people who had pledged and then actually sort of passed away and whether or not those people had actually um, given, a, given a gift, they found that people who were communicated with in the, the last couple of years um, before they passed away were were far more likely to actually leave a legacy than people who you know hadn't had any communication so they weren't even looking at that point you know, the quality of communication or the type of communication it was just the fact that the organization was you know carrying on talking to people mm -hmm. so I mean, that sounds so basic but you know for a long time in legacy that that was the case that we'd almost sort of just stop talking yeah yeah. And Ashley, did you have something to add there? Yeah, I was going to say, I think I think if you're not doing anything, just simply like uh, just simply including making sure you've got gifts and rules messages, easy to find, just simply making it an option, asking people to consider where, whether they'd include a gift. I think that's great. I think going beyond that, I mean, we did um, a mystery shopping exercise a couple of years ago where we we basically posed as a, a legacy uh, inquirer supporter to the top 100 charities. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to kind of see what that initial experience was like for someone who was thinking about it, getting in touch with the charity saying, you know, I'm thinking about updating my will, thinking about leaving a gift. Can you send me some information? And it's incredible just about <laughs> make sure you've just got some ba your basic processes right. Mm. So a third of charities that we got in touch with didn't even respond to us, right. whether it landed in an inbox that someone wasn't checking or we had people that would then send, or send us some information, but maybe a month later, six weeks later, maybe they'd missed the boat or maybe they spelt our name wrong. Wow. <laughs> you know, just basic things like that can make a huge impression mm. on the person. We had a conversation, I was talking to a hospice yesterday who'd actually uh, received a gift. So it was a, donor, a donor had died and had left a gift to them and two other charities, but they'd given their executors some discretion on who the money went to. Okay. And they, um, they, they thanked the executor, they shared some information. The other two charities like, didn't. And so that executor decided because of the experience they'd had, they gave them uh, all of the estate and it was £600,000. Wow. It just, you know, basic things like making sure that when someone, you, you know, you put these messages out, mm -hmm. are you going to, you, are you going to be able to respond to them and do it, not just do it adequately, do it brilliantly. Yeah. You know, have that kind of make them know that, you know, you care, you care about their gift. Um, and I think then going beyond that, there's loads, I think, in terms of just improving the communications and we one of the things that came out of that study we found was that there was really poor representation of people in mm -hmm. in those uh, gifts and wills um packs claire then with um doctor another doctor yeah Haseeb Shabir did did a big piece on how can actually we improve that because it was really problematic in terms yeah. of misrepresenting misrepresenting potential legacy donors and potentially avoiding mm. people that might might give so i don't know if yeah. claire if you wanted to pick up because that was 
one of the sessions that you talked about on the, in, at the conference. It's interesting though, because the standard comms you see are like elderly, white, hetero couple. And mm. yeah, you're like, that doesn't reflect me uh, at all. So yeah, that's interesting. Claire, can you tell us more about that, please? Yeah, I mean, we were looking, I suppose we were looking really particularly at um, race. Um, and like Ashley said, what we found was that um, uh, black and brown people were um, underrepresented as being donors, mm-hmm. but then overrepresented as being um, service users or sort of service delivery staff. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really sort of uh, drawing on um, a lot of uh, Hasib's research here, so, you know, all credit to, to Hasib, but he points mm-hmm. out that, um, you know, it's not that one legacy pack is going to, you know, deeply embed stereotypes, but when you see it sort of time and time again across charities' communications, it sort of stereotypes black and brown people as um, potentially, you know, being in need of mm. services mm-hmm. or um, perhaps sort of working at kind of lower level jobs. And actually, you know, when that's continuously represented to people in society, they can start to, it kind of affects how we behave even. And we can start to sort of behave in a in a more sort of stereotype um, congruent way. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, it, when, you, when you multiply it, it, it does become, it does become sort of potentially quite, damaging mm-hmm. um and then i suppose more positively though we looked at you know what can we do to to be better <laughs> um and obviously there's the basic point about just making sure that we're we're uh, representing people um and you know i guess there's a there's a point here for fundraisers in that you know as well as the sort of the ethical dimension of this actually you know we're missing out from potentially encouraging people from um you know black and brown groups who may well be, you know, good donors to our charities in the future. We're just, you know, we're not showing them people like themselves mm-hmm. giving. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're missing out as, as well as, you know, um, not doing so so well in terms of the ethical dimension. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of um, sort of get it better, yes, you know, making sure that we, we show people. Um, and then I suppose it was this idea of um, showing people in their full humanity. Mm-hmm. So that can be anything as simple as, you know, rather than just plonking someone's image on the page, we, we know we actually give their, their name and a little bit of biographical detail up to telling people stories or even better than that, you know, enabling people to tell stories for themselves. Um, and also, to, I suppose, um, telling stories where people get to be um, their heroic selves, actually. So um, there, was a, there was a lovely example um, we shared from an animal welfare charity um, um, and it was and it was showing um, children in and I'm not sure which African country, so I apologise for just using the generic kind of Africa, but showing sort of African children who were part of a donkey care club, um, mm. and these children were actually um, going out into their communities uh, and sort of uh, you know representing animal welfare and, and teaching others and actually kind of passing on a legacy. And I love mm. that they used that word. You know, these children sort of creating this this sense of a legacy, which you know really sort of uh, put them on a very similar level to what the you know the donors were trying to do. Mm. And to add to that as well, like the importance of those family units and it not just being you know a, a mom a dad and then like you've got the kids mm. and it's someone getting married or like buying a house like at those key moments like the comms has to reflect all kind of backgrounds and, yeah. and genders and uh, and sexuality and I would love to see more of that um, coming through and not just from the organizations that exist for that 
you know, I would love to see like yeah. non-related organizations start to be more diverse in their, uh, in their representation. Um, just uh, before we, we, we wrap up I, for the small, smaller charities that are listening and, and obviously they're picking all of this up. Um, and just to go back to your point that you said before, Ashley, about there being a huge opportunity here for those smaller charities as you, you do start to have younger donors coming through there was a piece of research done I think it might have been um, from Enthuse that highlighted it and it was um, they referenced it as the floating donor and it was this tendency now that people are more likely to give like one-off gifts and charities have to work harder to, to keep them so for the smaller charities then that are kind of faced with that uh, donor trend and the fact that they have very limited time and legacies might take a long time to to actually come to to fruition what should they be doing now uh, to make sure that they can make the most out of that huge opportunity that's on its way and this is to both of you that's a hard question I think I'd go back to saying like just make sure you make sure you're talking about it you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be complicated but you know if you've got those support comms that are happening make sure gifts and wills are talked about mm-hmm. um make it make it an option if you can find someone to share their story that's like the, the magic i think and that can often be quite tr- tricky especially for a small organization and you haven't been doing it and there aren't bags of people do it. so you know you might need to think creatively about that but if there's someone within the organization someone at a leadership level one of the trustees maybe they're probably really passionate about about the organization can you get them to make a commitment get them to kind of tell that story you know, just just include it. I think mm. is is one way. Mm. I'd also think we've not t- touched talked much about in memory giving, but that was kind of part of the conference as well. And we 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 kind of think about in memory giving when we're thinking about legacy giving because often it's a really strong motive. But people may well be giving gifts to your organisation in memory. Mm. We know that if you've people that that give a, an in memory gift and go on to give another gift, they're I think they're twice as likely or maybe even three times as likely to leave a legacy themselves and they leave higher value legacies. Great stuff. So take, you know, take them even as a, as a smaller group and think mm. about how you can steward nurture them and maybe have a conversation with them about thinking about a gift in their will as another way to remember their loved one. Love that. That's really good. And thanks for sharing those stats as well. Um, Claire, from, from your side, what would you, what would you be saying to them to do now? Um, I think I'd absolutely second what Ashley said, really. It's the classic sort of drip, drip approach to to legacy. So essentially what's already going out, where can you put legacy in there? Mm. Um, Which, you know, okay, um, it's never completely free, is it, in the terms, you know, it does does involve a little bit of time from somebody, but, you know, more or less kind of a free way of of promoting legacy. You don't necessarily need, you know, lots of, you know, big sort of separate um, appeal. But, you know, there's a number of reasons I think that that is the kind of the classic approach to legacy fundraising. Um, one of them being, you know, the things that drive someone to, to make a will and to make a decision about legacies, it tends to be their own sort of life experiences. So uh, as, as you referenced, Nick, you know, buying a house and having kids, that, that kind of thing is, is sort of what drives somebody to, to go and write a will. And we just don't know when that's happening necessarily for our supporters. So if we kind of drip dripping that message on a regular basis, then we're more likely to get in front of someone when it's, um, when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I think the other reason it's a really good way of, of promoting legacies, you know, for charities of any size really, is because, um, again, there's a, there's a bit of theory which says 
the way that we kind of cope with um, the foreknowledge of death is just to kind of ignore it and push it away. So something, sometimes something that comes through that's, you know, flashing legacy in big letters all over it, easy thing to do is kind of go, oh, you're not relevant to me, I'm too young. Mm. Whereas actually if it's incorporated in something else. So if you're telling like a really great story about some, um, you know, fantastic new project in your organisation and you just happen to mention, oh, and by the way, this is funded by a legacy, mm. then you're not sort of triggering that, okay, let's just push it away. It's too scary to think about or I'm too young to worry about this you know you're actually sort of just incorporating that message within something else that's really kind of interesting to the supporter Mm -hmm. so you know it's not just that you know incorporating legacy messages um is is the kind of the cheap way to to promote legacies there's actually some really good reasons why that's uh, Mm. you know a great way to to do it whether you're you know cancer research uk or you know a tiny little cancer support group you know meeting in someone's living room once a week yeah. So, yeah, we've got stories looking at the segment. So if you have people given in memory, that's a good place to start. We have processes. Uh, that's that's really important and, and feeding back and, and updating. Yes. What, what, what I'd, say, we I'd also add, mm. make it unique, make it personal and you mm. know, relevant to your charity. I think one of the things that we see is there's so much kind of copycatting going on. Mm. And in one sense, you know, if you're just getting started and you're not quite sure, it's, you know, it's quite easy to go and you look at, well, what's this charity doing? And I'll just, I'll do that as well. Yeah. But when, when, the, when a person's leaving a gift in their will, they tend to be thinking about the cause first and then mm. the charity. And so they've got actually quite a lot of choice. If I, if I'm passionate about cancer, for example, you know, you can give your gift to loads and loads of different places. So make sure you're giving them a unique kind of relevant proposition. Mm. So they've got yeah. something that actually, I understand what my gift's going to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and talk about it like a human being, I'd add to Ashley. So, um, again, there is research out there that basically says when we're using words like, you know, pecuniary legacy or residuary legacy, that kind of thing, that actually actively seems to put people off. I, I mean, I could, yeah, so. <laughs> I could see that. I wouldn't even need to look at the data to prove that. Yeah. Like, yeah, that would put me off. So, yeah, just talk about it like you would to, you know, a family member or a friend. And, you know, I think sometimes because it's a little bit sort of unusual, a little bit scary, we almost feel the need to wrap it up in kind of legalistic yeah. language. But, you know, you don't need to, you just need to be able to talk about it in the same way as you would any other bit of fundraising that your organisation does in normal everyday language. And that's going to be actually more effective than, you know, learning all the jargon. They're all, that's all fantastic. And I'm sure anyone listening uh, is just been scribbling notes. And if you are listening and you, and you want to um, go back and, and watch these sessions that we've been talking about as well, you, you can find that on fundraisingeverywhere.com on the on-demand section and just look for the Legacy Fundraising Conference and that will pop up. Uh, you two have mentioned lots of other resources uh, that I'm sure people want to get stuck into as well. So where can people find that and where can people keep in touch with you as well to keep this uh, conversation? going Ashley yeah so if you go um, Legacy Foresight is kind of the place where we tend to put out loads we every research program we do we always share a public briefing on that so if you go to legacyforesight.co.uk there's bags of stuff on there Mm -hmm. we've got a a group website legacyfutures.com and that tends to be where we'll be sharing we always we do lots of webinars and things like that blogs Mm -hmm. etc loads of resources but we're on Twitter you can find us at Talking Legacies. We're on LinkedIn. You know the usual. <laughs> Fab. And what about you? If people want to connect with you, is it just Ashley Rob Thorne on on LinkedIn? Best place or that's the one. Yeah, yeah. I'm on Twitter right. as well. But 
<laughs> People are trying to move away from that now, aren't they? Are so, they? It's, okay. it's distracting and also a bit sad sometimes. Uh, Claire, what about what about you? Where can where can people keep in touch with with you? Yeah, I'm on uh, LinkedIn and uh, and Twitter as well. If you just want to fill your Twitter stream with a constant stream of random legacy geekery, <laughs> I'm sure they do. Um, but thank you both of you for coming back and talking to us about this. Um, but thank you both for all of the the epic work and Jad as well uh, that he's put into the legacy fundraising virtual conference I'm trying to word it right because you know you don't know who else is listening um and yeah it was just it was an epic way to start the year um and I, I can't wait to to see where it goes so thank you to all of the team thank you to everyone that attended um and the sponsors that were involved in that and, and you know most of all thank you to the to the speakers um for for making it all possible um, and thank you to you guys yeah. as well ah. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. There's just thank yous everywhere. <laughs> Collaboration's what it's about, isn't it? We always have like the best time when we um, put these conferences together with other people that know more than us. Uh, it always just seems to kind of propel it into places we could, we could never have taken it alone. So yeah, we've, we've got a lot of appreciation for that. And yeah, let's 2023, let's see if we can bring it back uh, but yeah thanks for your time and um and and yeah so fundraisingeverywhere.com have a look for the the event and uh, and fill your boots